sitting here with uh with a repeat guest here we got gabe goodson on on the line here and uh gabe you're out of birmingham alabama just tell me tell you know you've been on before but i can't count on everybody having now if you're listening now you should have listened to all the episodes but if you haven't uh gabe reintroduce yourself for the crowd here let us know just a bit about your background how you got to national land yeah my name is gabe goodson i'm located in our birmingham alabama office um, and I've been in property management for about 10 years and joined National Land in uh, the beginning of 2020 uh, and just been kind of running with it since then. Uh, and I service most of the surrounding Birmingham area um, and rec tracks, home sites, you name it. And you've been in this, how long have you been in this industry? Yeah, about three and a half years now. Three and a half years. Perfect. So you've, you've had a chance to like build up, you know, your your build up your your database of, of contacts in your area and like kind of become known for for working with land in the first place and kind of just building your business right yeah that's correct that's correct and how how do you go about doing that like do, do you go about to a lot of networking functions do you do you just like cold call go knocking on doors and take people pies or stuff like that yeah well what, what's sort Not of quite, you know getting a lot of mine's been i guess somewhat organic um, you know, not a lot of like smoke and mirrors, um, maybe old school way, uh, just networking with people that I already know and just letting them know, Hey, this is, you know, what I'm doing and this is what I specialize and kind of give them what I'm good at. And, uh, hopefully just the words gotten out from there. Um, you know, in the general area I work in. Which it seems to have been pretty effective. You've kind of gotten out there and done a pretty good job. So I, I, that tactic works. Yeah, there's something to me, you know, it's it's the organic way. There's there's really no uh, fake way to get to where you want to be at in real estate. And I, and I think, it, you know, real estate's one of those that it works like that a little bit more in general. It's a very much a word of mouth referral based industry. And then when you combine what we work with, with, you know, we're talking rural land. And and to get out and meet rural landowners and stuff like you got to know somebody, you have to have a network of trust. You know, somebody has to trust somebody to be able to talk to you. Right. Like it's it's a little. more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's, it's not it's, a it's not a bunch of billboards and start getting phone calls um, in, in the land game, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, as far as some somebody new coming into town or trying to work an air or anything like that, it it helps to kind of have a history and where you're working at. 
I, I like the, the call, like the, who do you know game? You know, it, it, I go through this with, when I talk to people that are from the area that I grew up in and, you know, if you don't know them outright and if you don't know their name, you play this game with each other. Like, who do you know? And, and like, you have to find that common ground. Like, okay, we both know the same person. Now we can kind of communicate. Like yeah. that you're from that area and you are known and you know, somebody else that I know. Okay. We can move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of lets that guard down a little bit, uh, you know, and have familiarity with at least one person. That's, that's sometimes all it takes, you know, and build a lot of relationships just off one person you might've, you know, gone to third grade with, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that the, the things that matter are like, you know, who do you know? And then also how long have you been familiar with that area? So like, if you, are have only been in the area for a year, you have a lot less trust than say, if you are multiple generation in that area, like you're not, you, you tend to put the, the guard up with that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when somebody's explaining to you an area, you know, and they might be, you know, Hey, it's maybe not this County road, but there's the railroad tracks that you cross over and that red barn on the left, you know, it's what I'm talking about. And unless you've been there, you, you don't. Because you don't, because you don't guide yourself around by by road names it, when you're outside <laughs> of the urban area. It is like so. There's that rock on that second corner, the right hand corner. You know the one that looks like a frog. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. So okay. So we're we're here today to talk about some some tips for buyers and sellers, and this is sort of a, a conversation for someone who's looking at buying, you know, land. Someone who's looking at selling land, and say if you've never done it before, or even if you're experienced, right, there's always things to learn. But these are some some ways that that people have had, well, not ways that people have had successful transactions, but some tips for some people to have successful tra transactions and and how to work with a land agent and how to look at selling land and how to look at buying land and some tips for getting yourself up to speed so that you can move forward in a way that's efficient. So you don't have to learn through the trials and errors that most people have to go through and, you know, to, to be able to work well with your agent. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of just kick it off and, and let's let's take it from buyers and sellers perspective where, where we're looking at, you know, I'm a buyer or I'm a seller and, and we can break it up however you want to. I'm just going to let you we're going to roll with the flow here. Um, but what are some some good decisions and or some, actually let's go. With, let's start with the bad because, you know, you want to end with the good. So we'll start with the bad. What are some bad decisions that you've noticed that are consistent with buyers and sellers where they, they go into the process? Yeah, I, I guess uh, well, from the buyer standpoint, I guess a bad decision would be is uh, I guess you could refer to it as freelancing. You know, you might think you know what you want. So what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to start looking at listings and calling every single agent that's got a listing, you know, and that that might work in some cases, but often not, because what happens is all these properties start running together. Everybody's trying to sell you, you know, why this track's better than this one or that. And in that case is when I think it's beneficial for a buyer to have a buyer's representation by having a buyer's agent, you know, and that's somebody that can help them really at the end of the day, save time, but you can keep them from running up and down the road. A track that might look good on paper and it might have a good price. Um, and then you go run an hour and a half away and find out it doesn't have, you know, deeded access or something like that. Um, I would say that's probably the, the biggest mistake on, from the buyer standpoint. Um, and then I guess to pivot that to the seller standpoint is not doing their homework when they are hiring an agent to list their property. Um, I've seen that happen quite often. Um, it might just be somebody they know that's got their real estate license and not every realtor is created equally, I guess you could say, from that standpoint. Um, and finding somebody that fits you 
And then all somebody that's also familiar with that area and knows that market. And that's who needs to be taken care of to sell that property. So I want to ask a question related to the buyer side of things where, you know, let, let's take current events. Right now, we're in a situation where the National Association of Realtors just got hammered in a lawsuit for buyer side commissions. And the looking through the veil of everything that's going on, it's it's sort of it's looking like the buyer side of the transaction is coming under fire because there's commissions associated with it, right? Like a seller sells a property, part of that, part of the sales price goes into paying the agents involved. And usually the the upfront commission goes to the the selling agent, the one that assists or sorry, the, goes to the listing agent, the the one who's helped, you know, list the property. And then uh, you've got a, the buyer side representation that gets a part of that. And so a lot of the stuff that's coming under fire are people looking to move forward without having to, to do that, meaning cutting the buyer side out, or that's, that's one of the conversations happening. Like, is that happening in the industry? What are the, some of the benefits of working with an agent when you are a buyer? <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, just right off the bat, I mean, if a listing agent's trying to sell it to a buyer, they've got the seller in their best interest. So that leaves the buyer, um, you know, representing themselves in a transaction that they may have never done before. Um, it can be done, but there's a lot of unforeseen things, especially in land. Um, and that's where it would help having a professional that specializes in land that can help navigate around any issues, maybe figure out, Hey, you know, yeah, the listing agent's telling you it's going to cost blank to get a well dug. Well, unless you get some quotes, um, you don't really know what something's going to cost. So, I mean, for me, it's a lot of clearing up a lot of uncertainty. Um, and, it, you know, in my state, you're pretty much hung out to dry because it's a buyer beware state. Um, so, you know, I haven't been a part of anything where it's been a mess, but I mean, I'm, I know it happens. Um, you know, I actually just, I've been following the lawsuit and everything like that. And I saw, you know, I think a lot of people think that, oh, well, buyer's agent, you know, these houses sell their self. It's just somebody coming in here and writing an offer, which it might be in the housing market, but in land, I mean, and I tell people this all the time, you know, we're looking at a 40 acre track. This is going to take an hour and a half, you know, and that's assuming it might have somewhat of an interior road system to navigate around the property. This isn't a 15 minute, let's breeze in and out of a three bedroom, three bath and a hundred degree temperature outside during the summer, you know, in 15 minutes and be done. I mean, there's a lot of backbreaking work that goes with representing a buyer on top of all the legality stuff um, and land. And one of the, the, the inter most interesting things I saw was somebody was saying, well, if we're not going to split this and pay a buyer's agent, well, you know, should we be paying our doctors as much because um, a patient could just go to WebMD and figure it out theirself, <laughs> you know? And I thought that, that kind of just, you know, it was a light that blinked to me for something that you could almost apply the two together. Yeah. Well, I, it, it, I, I think the whole thing, it brings up just commission structures in general, you know, that, that could come under scrutiny here in the next decade everything down to car sales, right? It, it, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of industries that have tried commoditizing products where a sales individual is involved and a commission structure is involved, where there's a reimbursement for helping someone find the right solution. And, you know, that that's sort of what's at play here because there are resources online, but it, it almost seems like there's just enough resources to get somebody in real trouble. 
and you know to where you're talking like a 40 acre tract right so you take an hour and a half to run through it let's say they don't have a road system you could be looking at a five-hour venture and and it's not just looking at a bedroom like oh the bedroom's the right size i can fit a bed in here and like oh there's an office here doesn't roll like that there's stuff like okay is like you said there's is there deeded access is there is there some kind of easement going through the area is there is there a is the chain of title correct on the land um do they and then there's the deeper things right like do they have water rights does somebody else have rights to that water first where you don't get it until they max it out there's all those kind of things like you could be talking about a couple days work here pretty easily oh without a doubt without a doubt i've even seen like checklists that they have you know, and it's, you know, well over a hundred little things that a buyer's agent might have to, uh, you know, navigate around on a, a, a typical deal. So then you, you throw something in there that might be atypical uh, and it might be a lot more than that. So there's just, to me, there's just too many things that are unforeseen. Um, and I get it. And, and, and to me also at the end of the day, I mean, the buyer's the one paying for the property. I mean, they're kind of pay, the ones almost paying the, the, uh, the commissions, you know, it's just up to the, uh, listing agents to negotiate what that percentage is because, you know, on the front end, a seller can say, well, I want to net this no matter what, you know, and we can put the commission on top of that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, who's really paying for the commission, you know, to me, it's almost the buyer is. Yeah. Well, and then just the time involved, like I recently had an experience, I, I get to have my conversations now and like, I'm a real boy. Like I, I got my real estate license here recently and started working with a couple of clients and just did a buyer representation where we drove all over for a couple of days looking at the area because they didn't know the area. And so, you know, me knowing the area, like, hey, I can show you around. I'm going to be in there. I'm, I'm hunting. I'm taking a couple of days. Let's let's drive around. And we toured the countryside for for a while looking at different properties. And once I started getting a grasp of what their needs were and what their requirements were, I ended up, you know, as a fiduciary, you 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 look at their you know best interest first. And my advice was to they they had an opportunity for a private deal. And of all the things on the board, that's their best option. And so I I ended up having to advise them not to work with me. You know, and and those are the situations too, where it's like you're looking out for someone's best interest. You spend a lot of time. And you know, not just that, but gas money, like probably, you know. Oh yeah. That's a big part yeah. of it, right? It's when you're getting paid, you're not really getting paid for that transaction. You're getting paid for all the work you've done on other ones that you ended up never seeing a dime from. So yeah, yeah. And you might go show a track and it ended up working out and people being, you know, oh, it must be nice. Oh, that was good commissioner. I need to get my license. Well, what they don't see is all the stuff that you've been working on and hadn't got paid for. So, and it happens a lot because I, I do it all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I wanted to make sure to, to, to discuss that from the buyer side, just upfront, because that's, that's the most relevant news that you see everywhere right now. Uh, you were talking about the seller side of things where, um, you know, working with the right agent is sort of paramount. How often do you see that where somebody is working with, let's say, someone who specializes in residential that maybe doesn't even know, hasn't even done the proper d diligence on title and everything like that? Is that pretty common in your area? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see it. I mean, being so close to Birmingham and, you know, our office is in Birmingham and a lot of the work I do is, you know, within an hour of there. But I mean... I forget there's some offices in, in Birmingham where they have, you know, five, 600 agents set up, you know, just one residential outfit. So I've seen, you know, just for example, like it was earlier this year, um, 
somebody listed some property and it was their aunt's property and it was um, real nice farmland. And when I saw it get listed, I said, man, this is really underpriced. Well, they didn't really have the knowledge because uh, they probably just pulled comps of anything that was 120 acres, you know, and anything that was in that ballpark is what went into their uh, factors as far as putting a price on something, you know, and I think it got listed for maybe six or something. I forget what it was, maybe six ninety nine or, and I mean, I think I would have been worth at least eight ninety nine, or if that's, I would have listed it at somewhere in that ballpark uh, just because the area was in and I had, a couple different options as far as who the buyer would have been as far as highest and best use. And I almost cringed when I saw it, you know, and I wish, you know, I had a buyer for it cause they would have hit a home run. And of course it, you know, was on the market for two or three days and saw the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, so it, it definitely happens. Uh, and you kind of hate to see it because there's, there's nothing you can do, you know, uh, as far as, you, you know, you talking about you did what was the best case of your client, your buyer that you're working with. Um, and that, that was the right thing to do in that situation, you know, and it might, it wasn't the best thing for you, but you know, it was the best thing for your client. And I see those things like that happen with, you know, somebody listening with somebody that doesn't really need to be having that listing or that knowledge for that property. And you can't really do much, but shrug your shoulders because it wasn't in their best interest. And, and unfortunately that happens quite often, I think. It, I, I would agree with that. And, and from the seller's perspective, right? If you're working with somebody who is not, you, you brought up farmland, right? And you're looking at valuation. If you're just running off a of comp, then you're not taking into account something like what's the yield and what's already established on that property and what's, you know, what's their water privileges? Do they have an establishment? Like, you know, is it, is it open irrigation? Is it center pivot? Like, do they have those things set up? What, what's the setup there that makes it a higher value? And if you have somebody evaluate that, that doesn't know those things, you could end up in a real trouble spot where you didn't capitalize on say, in, you know, what you're talking about, nearly a quarter million dollars that could have been capitalized on. Oh yeah. And I mean, I, I quite often tell people when I work with them from, you know, as far as me being a listening agent, like working with a seller standpoint of things is, is it's not easy to put a price on things a lot of times um, in, in our world, because, you know, you can look at a neighborhood and there's been 15 houses that have sold in there that are all pretty comparable you know, in the past two or three months, well, that's a good reflection of what the market's done. And I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of work to put a price on something that way. But when you're working in rural land and there might've only been two tracks that have sold in that specific area, you know, maybe a mile square, you know, a square mile or something like that in the past three, four years, it gets pretty complicated because each acre of that 120 acre track might kind of hold a different value, you know? You just got to stack all those in and, and come up with a price. And that's that's something that I was sort of unfamiliar with. And I, I on a previous episode, we had Clint Flowers on one of one of another Alabama agent. And I was asking him, how do you evaluate something that's really large that has, say, an area for hunting and ponds and farm and timber? Like, how do you how do you break that up? And, and you know, the way you do it, as he explained it, is kind of like a puzzle, right? You you have the puzzle that all goes together in one square and then you break apart the little parts and each little part has a different value. So you've got to take your timber, assess the value of that. Does it have hunting use along with it? And then, you know, is there a farming area? And so just ex exactly what you just said, right? Where you've got to break up all these little quadrants, evaluate those and then put them back together as a whole. Yeah, and, and oftentimes, I mean, it might even become to where, you know, from the listing side, we're just kind of, throwing a price out there and, and 
at the end of the day, the market's going to tell you where the price might not need to be, but what it might not be, you know, so you might have something that's well overpriced. Well, it's pretty easy to go back to a seller and say, you know, look, we've tried, you know, we're two months in, I've gotten one phone call and that one phone call, you know, just saw the sign on the side of the road and they wanted to buy one acre off of this place, you know, and that's just not going to work. Um, and, and then you go back to the drawing board, um, you don't adjust the price to where you think it should be and just kind of go from there. But I'm one of those that's like, Hey, we'll throw a price on and just let it ride. Cause there's been a couple of times where I've done that with tracks and we've gotten ridiculous prices for them. And it's just because not to sound cliche, but I always tell people, you know, it just takes that one buyer uh, that might've been one in that one specific area. And they are willing to pay, you know, over market value for something. And especially if you throw financing out the window and you're, you know, dealing with a cash player, um, it doesn't really matter, you know? And that's, that's especially the case where it's sort of, you know, niche properties where there's not a comparable, maybe nothing like that sold in the last five years. And, and it, it is hard to evaluate. And there's the, there's the pricing side, like you just said, the market's going to tell you what to do, but there's also the right buyer at the right time. You know, does, does, if it's niche enough, you're limited on who would even ever want this property. And you do have to let it ride like that, right? Just, you know, we're going to wait it out. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've, and that's giving it all you got really, you know, cause from an, an agent standpoint, I mean, I'm working one that I think might be a little overpriced just as hard as I'm working one that's, you know, right on the money as far as where it should be. Um, and I think, uh, especially, you know, with land, a lot of people might have a little bit of different connection to the property than it would be if it was just, you know, somebody's second or third home they're buying, you know, they're, they could have learned how to skip rocks on a lake, you know, with their granddad and that you can't put a price on that, you know, but that sentimental value is going to be there for a seller. And it might be a little bit harder for them to let go of something uh, without giving it a shot, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, you speak to a really good point there as well as the sentiments, the, the sentiment of the current owner is not the same sentiment as somebody who's going to buy. So the owner is going to, you know, attribute certain value to it because of their experiences with that land. But the buyer, the, the potential buyers that they're reaching out to have not had those experiences with that land. They don't have that sentiment and it doesn't hold that value for them. So you have to kind of adjust the expectations. And that's a really emotional thing. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm, and I say quite often, you know, cause a lot of these transactions, you know, the property might've been in the family for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years or more. Um, you know, and everybody has different reasons for wanting to sell. And, um, as, as everybody has maybe a different reason to buy, but, um, as far as, you know, from the seller standpoint of things, it just never, it, to me, it just doesn't hurt. Just to give it a shot. You know, even yeah, if it's for yeah. a couple. That's one of those, you know, listen to the, listen to the seller and take their advice under, under scrutiny and then run with it, try it out and you know, make sure they understand the expectation. Like we're going to run with this. It could be, you know, that we don't hit the market right. We might have to adjust and you have to be ready for that. Yeah. And even to, to backpedal a little bit, you know, going back to the the instance I saw earlier this year with the, that 120 acre track, you know, part of me wonders like, well, did that seller just think that their cousin knocked it out of the park? You know, like, man, they sold this thing in two days. They're unreal. You know, or do they think a little bit like, man, maybe yeah. we left on the table, you know? Do you red flag that? Like if you, if you, if you see a certain pacing in the market where it's like, okay, everything's selling within 30 days and you put something on the market 
and you just get blown up with, you know, a bunch of cash offers within a couple of days. Do you red flag that and be like, oh, we missed. We got to go back to <laughs> yeah, the drawing board. Miss, but, you know, as long as the seller's happy, um, you know, it's all that really matters. And I mean, there's been plenty of times where I felt like maybe maybe working with a seller, they might have left a little on the table. But if they're satisfied with the offer, um, you know, whether we get a strong offer and they decide let's not count or we're happy with where we're at. Um you know, that, that's really what matters at the end of the day. But sometimes I'm thinking the back of the head, you know, and we could have maybe pulled another 15 or 20 grand off this thing. But um, at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's, it's what the seller, you know, it's what the seller wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what are three questions that buyers or sellers should ask as they go through the process with an agent and probably good for like the introductory period, but what are some really essential questions that you should ask of your agent when, when you go into this? Yeah. So, you know, and this might even be, we'll, we'll start with the, from a buyer standpoint, you know, um, a, a buyer that's working with a buyer's agent, you know, would probably want to know, like, as far as what kind of history does that, that agent have in that area. And a lot of that's going to be depicted off of what kind of listings they carry, you know, and I know that they're working for a buyer on this one, but if somebody doesn't have any listings in an area and I was a, and I was a buyer, you know, it'd be kind of hard for me to take somebody's opinion in an area where they, you know, you, you can go to their website, and they don't have any listings over there or they might have sold one or two tracks. You know, that would be one of my questions as a buyer um, is how well, because every every real estate agent is going to tell you how great they are and how they sold this and sold that. But, you know, the facts are the facts. And unless you've got listings in an area, odds are you hadn't sold a lot of stuff in that area. Um, so for a buyer, I would think that that would be my number one. You know, and, and, and transparency, once you do find that that agent that you feel like will work with you, um, I, you know, I think price, what you're willing to spend, uh, acreage, and then also where you want to be at. And I'm usually very specific on when somebody tells me they want to be in an area, um, we need to kind of stick to that area. You know, I mean, I know things can change, but when somebody's telling me, oh, I want to be, you know, two and a half hours from Birmingham, well, you draw a two and a half hour circle around Birmingham and, you know, you're almost, you're in Georgia and Mississippi almost, you know, <laughs> when you go West. So, you know, I, I think dialing in on a location is probably number one um, as opposed, you know, of course, if they could actually purchase a property, but then location and then what they're, what they're really firm on acreage wise. I think those are three big components as far as transparency that a buyer needs to be with the agent that they like to work with. Gotcha. What about the seller side? What are three important questions that you should hit up with? Yeah. So here again, you know, I, I, I would, I know if I was a seller, I wouldn't really feel comfortable with somebody selling my property if I can go to their website and see that they don't have any listings or, you know, any, any sold properties in that area. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to shop and find somebody that is, that knows that area well and somebody that does specialize in whatever kind of property it is, you know, if it's, um, you know, a land transaction, I'm going to be reaching out to a land guide um, or somebody in the industry. And then I would like to know what my marketing plan looks like as far as how we're going to get this in front of people. And then also, you know, who who's going to be purchasing this property? Not not so much personally, but, you know, is Jimmy Ray going to be buying? It's not that it's, you know, are, are we going to be are we looking at developers to purchase this thing? Is it going to be somebody looking for a rec track, home site? Um, you know, and being able to identify who your potential buyers are will kind of help an agent 
And then it's something I would be able to go out and look and say, you know, this thing doesn't have good road furniture. There's no way anybody's going to develop this. Because oftentimes you'll run into a seller and, oh, I got 10 acres. It'd be great neighborhood. You know, it's like, no, it's not. You know, where <laughs> you got mile and a half easement and there's no utilities back here. I mean, this, this is not, it's not a neighborhood. Uh, yeah, so yeah. you can wash that out and then you kind of, kind of go down those tiers and figure out where you can price things at for the usability of every track. So, you know, to me, any track that's the more flexibility a track has, the more potential buyers it has uh, with different functions. Um, and it takes uh, an agent that deals in land in that area to be able to recognize, you know, who those potential buyers could be. And I think that that's one of the biggest things I think from a seller standpoint that they need to look into. And let's flip this on its head. You know, this is what what buyers and sellers should understand out of an agent that they're working with 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 a land sale or a land purchase. What are the really essential things that agents need to know about their clients, buyer or seller, when they go into this? So that so, and, I, and I'm saying this so that if somebody's coming in, they understand what the agent needs from them. Yeah. So I mean, great example. I just right before this, I had. Um, I'd sold a track to a guy earlier this year. Um, and he referred me to somebody who's also looking to do something that he's doing, which he's just got, you know, 40 acre farm. Um, and they called me and they told me kind of what they were wanting and they had somewhat of a broad area. And, um, so, so what I told her, Hey, let's just do this. Look, we, we've got a price. You can spend, you know, roughly $300,000. You'd like to get 20 to 40 acres more, you know, would be great. But if not, that's kind of where we're at. And then the location that we're looking at is, is fairly, uh, it's a little broad right now, like broader than I'd want it to be. So besides me going online and just picking every single property that falls in those categories, um, I said, look, why don't you get online and, um, just search around a little bit. And it's as easy as that really go find, you know, five properties that are in your wheelhouse and copy the links and send them to me an email. And then up under those, right, you know, I like that this one has a pond or, you know, different little features about the property. You know, this one has very gentle topo and a, and that buyer might not know, you know, some of those things. Right. But then that's when I can take those, say, should they send me five listings and I can pick those listings apart and see things that I would red flag as far as maybe access issues. You know, is power and water available there because this person's uh, wanting to build. So those are pretty important. Um, and just some of those underlying things before we just get out and start running around and looking at everything. Now, with that being said, you do need to go look at properties and whether you think that this is, might be the one or not the one, because you might, you don't know unless you go, you know, if, uh, from a buyer standpoint, and, you know, somebody like an agent like myself, a lot of times I tell people I can look at a property online and kill it. You know, I'm not running people off from properties or anything like that, but I can go ahead and bring up the points that we might need to look into before we go out there and look at them or things that I would just say, look, this, this looks good online. It's got a great price. It's been listed for six months, which isn't a big deal. But the reason is, is because there's like no needed access, you know, and that's my, that's not going to be something that a listing agent put, might put on there if they, you know, just have that listing out there for bait. So everybody you call them, you know, and try to put them on something else. So, uh, and that's a, that'll be a time saver for everybody really. And whether it's, you're showing them tracks for three weeks straight and they don't find something, at least you can start ruling things out. Um, and, and, and I guess just breaking that barrier that, Hey, look, we're working together. You know, there's no need to hold anything back. 
um, and just be transparent. And, and that's what I tell everybody is I'll be very transparent with you. Let's just, you know, both as long as we're both on the same page, we can make this work, whether it's five days from now, which is probably unrealistic, or if it's a long game and something that might not materialize for over a year, you know. Do you ever use the requirements that you get from a client? Let's and let's say buyer's side. Do you ever use the requirements they have? Like you brought up, you know, I want a pond and I want this using that and then going to off market listings and seeing if there's potential for a sale. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'll definitely shop anything out that I can to make something work. You know, a lot of times there's just a few. And I tell people too, all the time, like, you know, you can go watch HGTV and it's, you know, they can turn any house and anything, but you know, once you start blowing down walls and stuff, the price starts getting pricey, you know, and you can do anything you want on a piece of land. It's going to cost money. And, you know, this, this place might not have a pond, but, you know, do you know what a pond cost? You know, do you have the right soils out here to build a pond? Um, and it might not be realistic, you know, so like stuff like that, especially water features, it's, if somebody wants a creek or pond, unless it's got one on there, uh, I mean, you can't make a creek, but as far as put a pond or lake in, um, it, it's best to have something that's already got it there, you know, so it's tried and true and it's not some experiment that they're buying this property and they've always wanted a baker lake. And then they start pulling core samples and it's, you know, they're just digging up sand. That's not going to work. Not going to mean, it water. I mean, it, it could if you pump enough water into it, right? But <laughs> exactly. You have that water coming from somewhere whether you're digging yep. out of the ground, run it from a creek or whatever. So when somebody's working with, with one of y'all, um, what sort of a, and, and like I said, well, let's start with bad and work into the good. What guarantees a failure in, in working with an agent, you know, towards a land acquisition or a land sale? Yeah. So um, well, I guess starting from a buyer's side, uh, I guess setting up for failures, maybe, um, I guess you can start off with price. You know, you might have a buyer that's thinking, oh, well, I can buy something that's $500,000. Well, they might not have the cash to buy it and they might not do the homework to figure out what they can afford. And here we are looking at $500,000 tracks. Um, and you might be getting the impression that's on their radar. Realistically, come to find out, they might can only afford a $200,000 property. You know, so then you've wasted all that time looking at things that, you know, from the beginning were never going to work. Um, and, and from an agent standpoint, I mean, some protection for that would be, of course, uh, proof of funds or putting them in contact with somebody that does finances off the bat to figure out, you know, realistically, what are we looking for and what can we afford, um, and, you know, and what's in the wheelhouse. Um, and I would say from the seller standpoint, um, I mean, probably the most unrealistic expectations would be, you know, grossly overpriced property. Um, and here again, like I said, I'm, I'm wanting to just throw a price out there sometimes if we can't dial down, but you know, if a seller thinks that you're going to list their price, their property and it's going to sell in a day or two. And I'm very transparent with sellers that, I mean, it does happen in our industry, but it's not the housing market, um, which I mean, that's slowing down. So I don't know if you can really use that as an example anymore, but it's, it's not throwing up a sign and it's selling the next day with five offers. It's just, it's a slower game because there's less buyers for this particular product typically. Yeah, there was a there was a property in Oregon that I followed because I I knew the 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 listing agent there and uh that one was on the market for 6 years I think before it sold and it was just so specific. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know like that expectation 
you could be looking at something like that. You know, we don't want that, but nobody wants that. So there always is the possibility that it's up there for a long time. Yeah. I mean, and that can start hurting the property too, because then everybody's, of course, the buyer's initial red flag is going to be, well, why has it been listed for so long? You know, and, and like you're saying too, I mean, it, it just takes one person. I said that earlier, but you know, and stuff will tend to sit if it's not priced right. Um, and as long as the seller's okay with that, that's fine. But they're, they're just going to have to realize that they're going to have to navigate around that question at some point is a buyer might have their guard up or a buyer's agent might have their guard up with it had been on the market for so long, you know, you brought up something from the buyer's side, uh, proof of funds. Is that something, if you're looking at buying land, is that something that you have to have together before you work with an agent? You know, that that's up to the agent, um, whether they, you have that or not. I mean, there's oftentimes that you'll just show something to somebody, uh, just kind of going off your gut. But I mean, if you're going to, you know, be transparent with a buyer, you know, right off the bat, um, that shouldn't be something that's like a, like a hidden, you know, a hidden topic or something that you should feel embarrassed to talk about because at the end of the day, they, a buyer should realize that you are there to help them. I mean, in that they need to know, like I said, cause if not, you're just, you know, you're just driving or you're burning gas, looking at stuff that's not going to be bought. Um, so oftentimes it's, it's, and if they don't have that, then, you know, we deal with, um, uh, quite a few different companies that do, specialize in financing and you can put the buyer and the finance and in contact with each other to see, you know, what a buyer might not only be able to afford, but what they're willing to afford, you know, so I could buy a property that might be five or $600,000, but they only feel comfortable spending two or three, which is perfectly fine. But it's just having that transparency and knowing where we need to be at when we're starting to identify properties to go take a peek at. So let's turn the front upside down here. What guarantees success when you're working with an agent? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, a lot of that success is going to be in the buyer seller's hands because they're the ones that are getting to essentially at the end of the day, choose who they work with, um, you know, from the buyer standpoint, choosing somebody that you feel as if can communicate with you. You know, I know I wouldn't want to be buying a property. And every time I'm calling my agent, um, I'm getting their voicemail, and then it's four or five days and I got to call them back and they're still not answering their phone. You know, that would be a red flag right off the bat. Um, but as far as making a good thing is if it's somebody that is accessible, I mean, um, to a buyer, you, you want to have that trust in your agent to be able to communicate what you're seeing and what you're liking about a property. Um, and I think that that'll kind of set you up for success is by choosing somebody that knows the area and somebody that's going to, you just feel good about working with, you know, and it might be a referral or knowing of somebody, but it's, it's, it's worth at least making a couple calls and making sure you're choosing the right person, um, who you think is going to work good for you. Um, and same thing from the seller standpoint. Um, I think communication for me personally, um, is 95% of it. I mean, if I've got a seller calling me, I'm answering, you know what I'm saying? And you owe that to them. Um, because they're trusting you to take care of them. Um, you know, from everything from getting the property ready to put on the market, photographs, you know, getting on all websites, you want to make sure you're getting somebody that's going to give it their all, you know, because here again, at the end of the day, your performance as an agent is going to benefit the seller at the end of the day, um, by finding the best buyer for it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, along with that too, what, and it, 
it's different for buyer and seller very much so but what are what are some of the things that they need to have prepared as far as documentation before they jump into a process with an agent yeah so um we'll, we'll start back with the buyer of course yeah. the proof of funds you know number one um and that's you know typically it with a buyer um just knowing what they can afford realistically so you know what to set your sights on now from a seller standpoint um you know it's documents that are going to benefit everything is you know, having maybe some preliminary title work done or just knowing that this person owns the property outright. Um, and that's just to save everybody time. Um, so you don't get an offer and this thing gets to the closing table and find out that, you know, there's a couple heirs to the property and it's going to prolong everything. You want to have your, your debt kind of stacked with everything that you can control, you know, cause there's going to be things, um, on both sides, buyer or seller side that you're, you might not, know that are there that are going to come up at some point. So, you know, having documentation as far as clean title uh, is big for a seller. And then also, you know, if you had an easement, let's make sure we have the paperwork that shows that there's a true easement there. Or if you have a survey on the property, um, oftentimes the buyer's going to ask, hey, is there a survey or do you have the more the corners marked or, you know, because that could end up saving a deal. You know, you're looking at sometimes you know, getting a survey might be a $10,000 swing. Well, if a seller's already paid for it and got one in hand, um, you know, it's going to quicken up the process for a buyer to know, okay, look, you know, this is where the corners say they are. You know, they, they had a survey done five years ago. Um, and then you're not waiting on a surveyor to come out and get everything done, you know, in a timely manner when they're backed up usually already. Um, and, and it could really, that could save a deal, you know, what are some things from, because we're talking documentation here, and this applies specifically to sellers. Um, what are some kind of blanket things that you suggest to sellers? I'm not going to call it a land improvement, but it could be a land improvement, but some things that you want to establish before you go to market. And and I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head, like access roads and home sites. Are those things that you want to set up before you go to market? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, and, and that's going to pin a little bit on, you know, what the position is of the seller. You know, are they okay with sinking a little bit of money in the mm, property? Yeah. Feel confident about it. Uh, but, you know, some things as simple as making sure the roads are clipped back. I mean, that's something that can be done fairly easy or that the fields are cut um, or if there's a down tree over the road, like little things like that um, will make a big difference when it comes to showing the track. Um but I mean, I've worked on some where, um, I, for instance, I, I had one, uh, I think it sold two years ago. Um, and I had the listing and sold it for, I think it was like $75,000 and, um, small track was like 14 or 15 acres, just a little home site, but it was just all timber. Okay. The people bought it. They were going to plan to build a house there and then decided now we're going to move to Florida. Okay. Well, they had gone in and done, I think it was like $15,000 worth of work. They cut a road and they cleared out like a beautiful home spot uh, and did a little bit of dirt work. And I think they were out like 15 grand. And then we put it back on the market when they decided, you know, hey, this one's going to work out. And not only did they recoup all their money, even after paying commission and closing costs and stuff like that, but they ended up making, I think, like ten or $15,000. So, you know, in some instances, it'll it'll work. You know, if you've got a seller that's willing to do a little bit of work and, and they would play into utilize the work they were doing. But that was just kind of eye opening to me because I mean, I think the first time we had on the market, it was, you know, it was on there for maybe a year 
And then with the, the, the slight improvements in the market, not changing at all by just having that little row that might've been a hundred yards long um, and an area cleared out that was maybe an acre. I mean, it went under contract in like two or three days, you know, at over ask price, just because a potential buyer that might not have a vision was very easy to see like, okay, well, this is where the home will go. And wow, we've already got this road coming into it. Um, and that was pretty eye opening to me, you know, to see, see one from both sides. Yeah. Building out that presentation for anybody that might be looking at it, you kind of set up, you set up the canvas for them, right? Like, Oh, I, I can see myself here. Yeah. And it's hard for a lot of buyers to see stuff like that. That's why, like, I've got some tracks that are, um, you know, in Chelsea, which is very close to Birmingham and they're high dollar tracks, you know, you're looking at like 10 and 20 acre tracks that are easily, you know, anywhere between 17 and maybe $30,000 an acre. And they've got beautiful mountain views, you know, and it's like, well, do we need to cut a pad up top so a potential buyer can see what the views will be? Or, you know, do we leave it the way it is and just hope somebody will visualize that because you don't want to start cutting stuff. And then that'd be a game killer for a potential buyer that doesn't want the home site to be there. Mm, and yeah. Watch a tree's cut um, that they wish were there. And you can't really go plant, you know, hundred year old oak trees or whatever. And like, this is going to look yeah. great at 90 years. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great grandchildren are going to love it. So, you know, that's kind of the one thing that I'll toggle back and forth to is, is it always, it, you know, in some cases it might not always be beneficial to do things like that, but I mean, that was a perfect example that it did help because like I said, the market had, didn't change at all in that period of time. Yeah. So along those along the lines of, you know, making improvements and stuff, you know, every, like, a, yeah, I'm backtracking on that. Like, does that really match what I was just saying? Uh, no, but so with, with the buying and selling of land, it kind of goes with all things in life that you always want to be negotiating. What are some of the unique ways that people have come up with, or that you've experienced with sort of negotiating price or negotiating how the transaction goes through? Um, yeah. So, um, some of those things might be as simple as, you know, who's, you know, the, the most basic stuff would be, you know, who's paying for what closing cost wise. I've seen things where um, the seller, we ended up getting the buyer to pay the the commission, which here again, I mean, that wasn't a big swing of things, but it made somebody have a warm and fuzzy enough to get, you know, a contract signed and a deal across the board. Uh, one of the most interesting things I saw was, you know, we'll use just a blank statement on like a, a track, sale is like a hundred acres and they were asking $500,000 for it. The buyer offered, um, like 480. Okay. The seller was pretty stiff on 500. So they came back and said, well, we'll take 480, but we're keeping five acres, you know, with road frontage in the dead center of the property. And then that ended up getting the buyer to come up another 20 grand, um, you know, <laughs> for $500,000, you know, this is what it's going to have to take to get it done. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I love I how gutsy that is. Like, yeah, you can buy the land, but I'm going to live in your front lawn. Yeah, I'm going to keep five acres right in the dead center and sell that five acre track for 40 grand, you know, and be done with it. So, um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was pretty sharp. Um, and, and I'm sure there's a lot better ones than that, but I, I don't have them. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a good, better negotiation stuff um, other than just the basic. Um, you know, who's paying for what really um, might kind of help get something across the board. And how at the end of the day, you, it matters. Yeah. And the pricing, how often do you see owner carry? 
Um, not often. I've uh, maybe once a year, you know, and I think that that might like right now. Um, I actually just had one and it was a very quick transaction. It was one of those properties that was listed for like eight or nine months, showed it a hand, you know, bazillion times, had other agents show it, went under contract once um, and then had a buyer out of the blue uh, offer full price because we had changed the terms on the way the listing was online to, you know, owner finance was a possibility. And, um, you know, went under contract and closed like, I think in four or five days, or no, it was probably like six or seven days after it went under contract. But, you know, to the seller is, you know, Hey man, this thing's been sitting for a while. It's kind of a niche property. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of interest in it, but not a lot of good enough interest to get the deal across the board. And especially with our interest rates right now, um, I think ended up doing like, um, uh, financed it. I forget what the percentage was, but it was for like a year with a balloon payment. Um, and it worked out for the buyer. Um, and the seller is ready to come off the property anyway. They're an investor that, you know, that was just, uh, that was just one off the board for them. You know, there yeah, wasn't a yeah. lot of attachment to it and they were going to get their money, you know, in 12 months anyway. And it benefited them to do that. But I think right now in this market, you know, if you've got a seller that's willing to do under finance, it's very, beneficial to let a potential buyer know that um and, and right off the bat because that's this that deal wouldn't have gone across the board if under finance wasn't in play i was going to say too because a lot of times when you're looking at land it's very hard to get loans and and even when you do get a loan it's it doesn't work like it does in residential like you're not getting a hundred percent loan or you know you're you're five percent down or whatever that you see a lot of the time or sorry ten percent down that you see a lot of the time in residential it's, it's hard to pull loans on land. It just, it, especially non-cultivated land. Right. Oh yeah. So, I mean, and that one was, I mean, that one was, as we had the terms pretty much worked out up front, like with the seller, I knew what he wanted and just was able to convey that to the buyer. Like, this is what it's going to take. Um, and we can probably tweak it a little bit, you know, to make it work. And, um, you know, you, you really, dodge a lot of obstacles by that. Cause I think this was a pretty substantial down payment. I mean, it might've been like 40 or 50%, you know, for So for a seller, I mean, this was a no brainer, you know, once we got the, everything with the terms, you know, as far as the, uh, the length of terms and the, the interest rate, I mean, with that amount of down payment, you know, giving them 12 months to pay it off. I mean, um, it was, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what makes, let's, let's talk from the agent's perspective. Um, what makes your ideal client? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me personally, and, th and, th and that's another thing too, like in our industry, I mean, I, I'm at the point where I'm not, I don't have to work with somebody if I really don't want to, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't say that, but like, um, I've done that enough. You know, if I'm working with a seller, they need to know what I expect out of myself and what they should expect out of me. Um, and it's usually smooth from there, you know, cause they, they understand what they're getting by hiring, you know, whether it's me or somebody that is in the land business, um, that's in that position, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty picky from a buyer standpoint because, um, like, you know, for firsthand now, I mean, you can run around and, and that was a friend and it, it was sounded like it worked out great at the end of the day, but I mean, I don't really, I don't want to be a tour guide. You know what I'm saying? Um, you want to know that they're absolutely going to do business like the, the correct. Or that both of it's your not, time is being considered. Exactly. And it's not saying that 
okay, I'm going to show somebody two tracks so they don't buy something. I'm never talking to them again. It's not that at all, but it's, it's having that transparency right off the bat. And I'm, you know, as long as you have a good gut feeling with somebody or whatever, you know, and everybody's circumstances change. But to just to know that like you're appreciated from a buyer standpoint, because it's tough work being a buyer's agent. I mean, it is, um, it'll drive you crazy, you know, uh, showing up to appointments and then, you know, you're hour and a half away or an hour from your house and they're, you know, 30 or 45 minutes late, you know, that's just not fair to, you know, to somebody in my situation or whatever. Um, yeah, because that, yeah. you just, you know, I guess I'm going to sit out here for an hour until you get here, you know? Um, and I've done that before and I'm not a, too good to do that. Cause you can usually find times, find ways to fill your time. But at the same time, there's gotta be a level of respect both ways. Cause, um, I'm doing everything I can for somebody to, to help them find their perfect property or sell their property that they hold, you know, real close to their heart. Um, and so for me personally, I'm giving them all, you know, so I expect, whether I'm working with a buyer or seller that they, that they're doing the same, you know, yeah. and if you have that mutual agreement, I mean, it, it's, you build some really great relationships off that. I mean, there's plenty of times that I've worked with a seller um, and, and never met them before, before going out to their property and evaluating it for them. Yeah. They might've just seen, I had a couple, you know, sold something down the road from them and that's how I got thrown in the mix, you know, and you're keeping up with these people and, you know, their kids are graduating high school and you're getting card, you know, it's just kind of, uh, I guess they hear again, very organic growth for an agent, but then also your relationships in the community, you know? Oh yeah. Well, and, and the, the perspective of you were talking about being picky with buyers and, and a lot of times that gets looked at as like a greed factor, like, Oh, you, you just want to work with people if you want to know you're going to make money. And it's from the buyer's perspective, that makes sense because you're not considering other things, but from the agent's perspective, it's you invest a significant amount of time and it has to do with respect for that time, right? Because the time that you spend with them, that could be spent with other clients that could be spent finding other people to work with. That's money that you invest in gas. It's, I mean, the number one for me, it's time away from your family. Like I am sacrificing these hours with my, with my family, to run around with you and look at things that you might not do business with. If, if that's the case, if you're not respectful of that time. So there's, there's other factors at play that don't really matter into the financial equation, right? Like it's, there's a oh, yeah. investment on your side. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Cause you know, same thing, the family thing, you know, like I remember I, when I got my license, I literally got my real estate license. And then I think my wife and I had our first child, like maybe three weeks later. I mean, I remember, oh, oh, oh. Lockdown COVID going through boot camp with national land, like, you know, going over how to use our software and this and that. And I remember like that was that was one of the first times I'd gone to I was going somewhere to meet somebody and they just kind of jerked me around, you know, uh, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Oh, it's going to be another 30, you know, and it's just like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> if we're working together, it's fine, you know, yeah. but if you're out looking to look, you know let's pick a different hobby, you know, go play Papa golf or something and I'll stay at home, <laughs> out back with my kids or something, you know, or just drive around, go look, go look, go, go to exactly. and check it out and, and check out houses that you like. But if you're not on the market, like let's, let's be respectful of each other's time. That's that kind of exactly. stuff. That, Cause I don't know, man. I, sometimes I wonder like if people just think that we get paid no matter what, you know, and that's just part of our job is just, you know, galloping around, uh, yeah. roll out. Yeah. Uh, Showing people property for funsies. I don't know. 
you know, there's some element of that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey man, um, speaking of time, I want to be respectful of yours. We, uh, you know, we, we budgeted an hour here and I think we've killed it off between our, our talking beforehand and this. Um, but I want to thank you for your time and, and your expertise. Uh, it's much, much, much appreciated. Uh, so thank you very much for, for, for in, indulging my questions here for an hour. Oh yeah. I appreciate it, man. Excellent. Well, Hey, enjoy your day. And, uh, we're, we're right about that time of year. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Exactly. There'll be plenty of gravy to go around. Plenty of gravy. I want to sit down and watch some football. There we go.